as they make their ways back to their seats. Let us pray. Holy Triune God, you have called us here as your children. So speak to us now. Soften our hearts and open our ears that we might hear your word. And in hearing it, receive and live for you. In your name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him, that is Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 23 years ago this month, Toy Story 1, if you can't see, that's a very small Lego minifigure of Woody, came out. It was the first movie in the Disney Pixar dynasty. Then 19 years ago this month, Toy Story 2 came out. At that point, the... The, I think that was the third Pixar movie. And then, eight years ago, Toy Story 3 came out. The 11th Pixar movie. And next June, Toy Story 4 will come out. And so I'm hopeful, given Toy Story's longevity, that most of us are familiar with that story. But, for those of you who aren't, Toy Story is a world in which toys are alive. So it's like ours, except for when we go away, the toys live and have life and play together. So if you're a child like I was, the toys scattered around your room at home are currently playing with each other. Or maybe you're a parent who buys your kids toys, but really they're for you, and you know who you are. They're, you know, having a conversation. It would be as if the Lego Captain America on one side of my office has made his way across the room to encounter a minotaur and a dragon and have a conversation with them and Cal Ripken Jr. And while I don't think that's happening, that's the reality of Toy Story. And so in Toy Story, we step into this world of Andy, a young boy and all of his toys. It starts with Woody. But then for Andy's sixth birthday, he gets Buzz. And what happens to Buzz happens to all of Andy's toys. He takes Buzz and writes on the bottom of his foot, Andy, in permanent marker. And the way Buzz understands this, as he will later tell Rex and Slinky, he says, say there, lizard and stretchy dog, let me show you something. It looks as though I've been accepted into your culture. Your chief, Andy, inscribed his name on me. And while it's more Andy's ownership than entrance into a culture, Buzz isn't that far off. Andy writes his name on his toy's feet because they are his. They belong to him. And all throughout the Toy Story movies, this theme of the name on the foot comes up again and again. In the end of Toy Story 1, which... If you still haven't seen it, I'll avoid spoilers. Buzz is in danger, and Woody reminds him in that moment that he's Andy's toy and has value in that. 
And in that moment, Buzz looks at his foot and touches the name. And he knows whose he is, and he knows who he is. He is Andy's, because Andy claimed Buzz, and Woody, and every single one of his toys. So they are his, marked with Andy's name. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In Christ you were circumcised. In Christ you were buried. In Christ you were raised. In Christ you were marked. Circumcision, the mark that God gave God's people Israel, to signify that they belonged to God, to tell them who they were. And as Paul demonstrates here, in baptism we are marked and told who we are. In baptism, God marks us with a permanent mark. And while the English of this passage doesn't necessarily make this clear, all of the verbs in the passage are passive which means this isn't something we primarily do, but something God does to us. God marks us. God's claims us. It is, if you will, as if God writes God in permanent marker on our foot. And so every time we look at the font, we know whose we are and we know who we are. We are God's because God claimed us. And so we know who we are. We remember whose we are. And baptism is not merely a mark that doesn't go away. It is that. It's permanent. But it's so much more than just the visible mark. As the great reformer and theologian John Calvin puts it, in baptism, A, the external minister baptizes with an external element, that is water, which is received bodily. And, B, the internal minister, the Holy Spirit, baptizes with the blood of the spotless lamb so that he or she that is baptized is endowed with the whole Christ, true God and true human. So baptism then is not merely a pious thing that we do or a physical marking that we do because it's what you do when you have a kid or to declare your faith. But rather in baptism, the spirit descends on us and we receive grace from God. Because baptism is primarily God's act, not ours. As the Belgic Confession, one of our creeds, confesses, just as the water washes away the dirt of the body when it is poured on us, and also is seen on the body of those who are baptized when it is sprinkled on them, so too the blood of Christ does the same thing internally in the soul by the Holy Spirit. It washes and cleanses us from sin and transforms us from children of wrath into children of God. This does not happen by the physical water, but by the sprinkling of the precious blood of Christ, who is our Red Sea, through which we must pass to escape the tyranny of Pharaoh, who is the devil, and enter the spiritual land of Canaan. So it is not as though the water contains some magical power, but rather, as we are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the water we receive grace 
by the Spirit. A grace that continues throughout life or we are daily renewed and cleansed. Because God acts. So as the Belgic notes, just as Israel passed through the Red Sea to be freed, so we are freed and marked and claimed as God's own. For, as Paul writes, we were buried with Christ in baptism and raised with Christ to new life. And so we belong to God. That is whose we are and that is who we are. It defines us. It is our truest identity. So yes, if you were wondering, we're still working through the triangle that I think is still pictured in the bulletin. We're on the identity part because baptism is what gives us our true, full identity. Just as Buzz received his identity as Andy's toy when Andy marked him, so we receive our identity as God's children when God marks us. And while all analogies break down a little bit here because Andy can give his toys to someone else, God never says otherwise. When God claims us, we are God's children, and that's not changing. But so often we don't live like it. We don't live as if our truest identity is as a child of God. A few weeks ago, Pastor Stephen threw a mess of images on the screen to illustrate some of the things we identify with, where we place our identity. And there are a million places where we place our identity. Philosophy professor at Calvin, Jamie K. Smith, in a book called You Are What You Love, argues that our rhythms and patterns in life shape our aims and goals, and thus the kingdom with which we serve. Or, to hear the same wisdom from a middle schooler, go back with me two years. A friend of ours from college had asked us to lead a session at a retreat where he had brought his youth group. And so we're gathered off of a gym, and there's a projector, they're sitting on these odd carpeted step things, and we're talking about how our life is hidden with Christ and God, and our identity is as children of God. And a boy in the middle of his friends, 11 or 12, brown hair, pretty thin, wearing a sweatshirt, raises his hand and says, so I watch a lot of baseball. I nod, I can relate. And then he finishes, does that make me a child of MLB? Well, that one hit close to home for me, but I think regardless of that, regardless of the fact that it was October 8th and it was game two of the National League Division Series that night and the Cubs would then go on to win the World Series, which of course I didn't know at that point, I think I was right in my answer that no, being a watching a lot of baseball doesn't make you a child of MLB, but nevertheless, the profundity of this prepubescent boy's question struck me. Because he was able to ask it in such a way of, does doing this thing a lot, or loving this thing a lot, make me a child of it? And it's an important question to be able to ask. Because our habits form us. And things can become idols, and we can see them as the core of our identity. We can use them as that thing that defines us. So what things do we let define us? Is it one of the things Pastor Stephen had on the screen? Car brand, Wolverine or Spartan, a Buckeye or Notre Dame fan living in Michigan? 
Maybe it's that you don't have a college football team. Your hope or Calvin, a different sports team, academics, music, being a parent, a sibling, your job, something else. But even outside of how we define ourselves, how others see us often interprets how we see ourselves. Do people judge us, make assumptions about us based on our appearance or our hair or our skin or something else, and by doing so deny that you, like every person, is made in the image of God and reduce you to simply an attribute? And sometimes you might believe them. You might begin to think that how they define you is who you are, and you might even like how they're defining you. But regardless of that, that's not the core of our identity. In Toy Story 2, Woody ends up with a toy collector who is going to take Woody and some of the other toys to a toy museum. And Woody learns he was in this famous TV show, Woody's Roundup, and that he's famous because of it, and he starts to live into this idea of this fame and see himself simply as that famous toy. But then his friends come around him and remind him that he's Andy's toy. And he scrapes the fresh paint off the bottom of his shoe that the collector had put there to reveal Andy scrawled on his foot with a backwards N. But he's being reminded of who he is and what the core of his identity is. Because it didn't matter what he said his identity was at that moment. Because his true identity was as Andy's toy. It was on his foot. It was permanent. And this is true for us, too. No matter who or what we let define us, no matter what we might see our true identity as at any given moment, we are God's children. Because in baptism we have died with Christ and been risen with Christ and belong to him and are being refreshed by that same Christ, by the Spirit, daily. So what do you say defines you? What do others say define you? Do you let it? It's really easy to, it's very hard not to. It's easy to let those other things define us, our loves or our passions. But note that these loves and passions aren't necessarily bad things. None of what Pastor Stephen had up there or that we've talked about are wrong. It's just they're not the core of our identity. Because in baptism we have died with Christ and been risen with Christ. And just like it took Woody's friends to remind him of his true identity, we are not left alone to live into this baptismal identity. But rather this is all done in community in the body of Christ. In fact, in this passage, we need the y'all translation of Scripture because the yous are all plural. It's not just you, Allison, Eric, Jennifer, John, Laurel. It is you because you are a child of God. But it's also you all, all of us. As children of God in a community. And so the question can be asked, what as a community do we hold as our core identity rather than being that of God's people? But then what does it mean that we are God's children, individually and as a family? Why does it matter that that's our identity? First, that that is who we are. 
we are God's children, beloved and saved by God, no matter what. That our value and identity are tied up in God's declaration that we are God's beloved children in baptism. As those united with Christ and pointing to Christ's death and resurrection. But identity also necessarily implies that who you are influences what you do. So then, as God's children, how are we to act? Paul helps with this too, using the y'all translation. If then y'all have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set y'all's minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for y'all have died, and y'all's life is hid with Christ in God. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Okay? Got it? But what does that even mean? Paul goes on to talk about how we should live as those who, have, who are Christ, who have participated in Christ's death and resurrection in baptism, who have died and risen with Christ, whose lives are hid with Christ in God, encouraging us to love of God and love of neighbor, encouraging us that when we do those things we love, the other passions that are important to us, that we do them as children of God. So, support your sports team, but as a child of God, as those who belong to God. Strive to do well in school, but for God's glory. Work in the church at home, do instruments, do your job, love and care for your family in all things as children of God. And in the same manner, as we finish our building project, as we prepare for worship, as we participate in programs and answer God's call to serve, we do it as God's children. If then you have been raised with Christ, and indeed you have, indeed y'all have, seek the things that are above. For y'all have died, and y'all's life is hid with Christ in God. Because in baptism we have died with Christ and been risen with Christ. And so we are God's children, and we are called to live for him, individually and corporately. And thanks be to God, we are in community, so like Wood reminded Buzz, we can, remember each, we can remind each other that we are God's children, that we belong to God, and that we are called to serve God. And thanks be to God that God sustains us, as we live into the identity that God has given us, as we live into that, that we are children of God, because as we participate in Christ's death and resurrection in baptism, at this table of remembrance, communion, and hope, God remembers to us Christ's death and resurrection and our participation in it. At the table, we commune with Christ, By the Spirit, we are lifted up to commune with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. And so we do not only set our minds on things that are above where Christ is, but by the Spirit, we commune with Christ, seated at the right hand of God. And we come in hope. One day when Christ will come again, and we will experience the fullness of communion with God and of our